Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name is Max Rothman, and with me today, as always, my doubles partner, partner in crime, and a guy whose pre-pod ritual is perfect for this day and time, (laughs) Alex Gruskin. Hey, Great Shot. Oh my God! Is that acceptable really... or is that? Yeah, I, that was perfect. But we're not going to explain the joke on this podcast. That was really funny. This is my graduation gift to you. <laughs> that was and that was really well done. So you might have to go first more often. But yes, Max, it's a pleasure as always to be doing this. Alex, it's a pleasure for me as well. And and look, you know what? We've had a lot of great tennis in the last few weeks. And just a quick note, we are actually not going to be covering Indian Wells or Miami. I know there was a lot of good tennis there and. A lot of good results, including Delpo getting his second straight title. Uh, you know, Federer having a good run, Chorich with a good run. You know, that definitely some good tennis, but uh, both of us were pretty busy during that time and unfortunately didn't have the chance to watch too much of it. And for some reason, YouTube has just neglected these two tournaments and there are absolutely no highlights. So we couldn't even, you know, go back and rewatch. Even worse than that. So we did record an Indian Wells podcast and both of us did see some of those matches live, particularly sure. the night matches and in terms of Miami East Coast. So it lined up better with our time schedule. We were able to see Zverev make the final, obviously Isner's title, which you neglected to say, probably intentionally, <laughs> even though he's one of your hometown boys. Yes. So, you know, even less likely we're going to get him on the pod now. But Isner with his run to a master's title, obviously very impressive. But yeah, as you mentioned, there were really no highlights available. And so the podcast we, we recorded, it just wasn't that good. It was just more kind of briefs, you know, surface, what we saw from the stats. We couldn't really go back and look further in detail at the critical points. And so we didn't want to be disingenuous. We didn't want to provide, you know, phony coverage. And so unfortunately, we're not going to be able to go into those in depth. As you mentioned, Max, you know, the Chorich run in particular was so impressive. And we talked about that in our changeover chat when breaking down the prospects. He really is one of the top four young guys on tour. And I think he is capable of winning a slam one day. Yeah, definitely. Chorich clearly has the capability to be a top 10 player. And, you know, as you said, we discussed this in our changeover chat. So definitely make sure to check that out. But really quickly back to Isner. Really special, you know, tournament for him getting his first ATP oh, you 1000 just want him on title. The of course, I do. He's my <laughs> boy, Greensboro, all the way. But uh, yeah, I know his first ATP 1000 title. He's been 0 and 3 in ATP 1000 finals before that. So, uh, congratulations to to John. That's a, a really special win for his career. I will ask you, in terms of the favorites heading into the clay season given the run we saw from Del Potro in Acapulco and then through Indian Wells where he wins and then makes the semifinals of Miami. Is he one of the front runners for the French Open? That's tough to say. Um, I think you got to put him at least the, the semifinals. Obviously, Nadal is the guy. Of course. I mean, no one's had as many French Open titles as he has had, and you know he is for sure the best clay court player of all time. And so, of course, he, he is the favorite for the French Open, but I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll see Delpo. I just hope he doesn't burn out. That's yeah. my main concern. In terms of the winter hardcourt season, Del Potro, one of the winners. Obviously, oh, Federer was so impressive. His only loss coming. I wish know, he was first round Miami, or second round to Kokonakis. That was a little disappointing, but he just seemed a little bit burnt out that Del Potro final really got him. You know, Chung, Chorich, both so impressive. So many young guys stepping up, and you know, as we mentioned in that changeover chat, the state of the ATP after the first quarter of the season, really impressive. 
But it just sucks that Fed won't be in the French. Yeah, that he's not playing clay. Do you want to talk about that for a second? That's actually a good first segue. What are your thoughts on that? Because we definitely should discuss it. I mean, here's the thing. It clearly worked last time. It it was effective. He was able to win two Grand Slams after that. So, I mean, something about it is good for him. Um, But part of me also thinks he's kind of a... (laughs) <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Go and take that French Open title. You only have one. So I have two takes from this. One is going to agree with you. The other is pretty hot. Uh, the first Ooh. one. So we'll go with the Ooh, you know, hot take action. We'll go with the first one. So just, you know, save the sizzle for now. For sure. One of them is I do agree with you. It worked so well last year. You looked that he takes the clay season off and then he comes back and wins Wimbledon competes at the U.S. Open, obviously is able to compete at Laver Cup and play just throughout the rest of the year, which is something we want out of Fed. We want to see him do well on the surfaces where he plays his best because nothing is more enjoyable to the fair-weather tennis fan than Federer in a major final. So I'm, I'm okay with that. Selfishly, and this is a bit of a hot take, but I enjoy the opportunity to give some of these young guys to come up and make a move. And in terms of Del Potro, we haven't really seen him on the clay, so you're right, he has to prove it. But a guy like a TM who Nadal blasted today on the court, and oh, I think it was 0-2, and it was just, uh, you know, that's why Nadal is the favorite going into this. But a guy like Team, a guy like Dimitrov, who I think made the semifinal this week, Guys like that who haven't broken through yet and won a major, maybe they have a chance if Nadal yeah, wears down. Yeah, but that's the thing, though. Sure, it gives them a chance, quote-unquote, but they should be earning it, deserving it, beating Federer, and then getting to that final. I don't want to see them have an easy route and get to the final. Sure, it's fun. Like, Yes, I, I want to see someone different, but I want to see them take out Federer and be like, damn, this is the guy who took out Fed and is now in the French Open final playing against Nadal you know what I mean yeah you're not wrong and we've gone a bit off track so we should probably veer back another guy is Virev maybe he breaks through on the clay we've seen him beat Nadal in clay before Uh, you know maybe Djokovic comes back healthy he looked a little bit better still he looks a little lean and he's just not moving quite as well I don't know if he has the weapons but and has been losing some matches he shouldn't but okay enough of the segue as you were saying (laughs) let's let's move into our tournament that we're going to be talking about before we get into the tournament we're going to be talking about this week, we do have to do a little bit of housekeeping. As okay, always, nice. we have to ask you, go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. We've got a ton of great content on there. We have articles such as recaps of college tennis. We have you know the best tennis tweets of the week. Just all the things going on in tennis. Go check that out. Another thing you can find on there are podcasts. We have this podcast as well as the Cracked Interviews podcast. As always, we ask you to go subscribe to those. Go rate. Go review. Five-star reviews only. You know, we ask you, you know, leave us a little message in the comments. We always like interacting with you guys. And, of course, I don't mind if you steal your friend's phones and subscribe on theirs as well. Yeah, and if you haven't heard our last episode with our recently developed new real advertisements if you check out our website we've got a nice little ad up there for cross court threads it's a new tennis clothing line and they've got some pretty cool stuff so definitely uh, consider checking it out i know i just ordered my first shirt also in terms of people who have talked to us we got a comment from one zach gross so I, shout you know, out I, Z Gross, of course, and he wanted to give his thoughts on the tennis ball debate and something I didn't think about on indoor courts that are painted blue. The tennis ball that hits the blue paint—that's what turns them green because blue and yellow makes green. And to me, that it blew my mind. Right? Am I crazy? Why didn't we think about that? Wow. So, bottom line, the ball is yellow. 
So that's true, but I'm saying in terms of why they turn <laughs> green, that's the, that would be the only reason why is because they're hitting off of blue cord. Does, does that make sense? It kind of makes sense to me. And that if, I don't know if it's so but much. But the out is green as well. The out, the out, like the paint. Yeah, but I don't think out. it's so much that. Yeah, hey, great shot. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's so much that the ball turns green because I don't think it's really picking up paint from the court as much as it appears green because it's. Yeah, I'm not saying these courts with... are wet. I'm saying just so many no, times that it's hitting these courts, it picks it up eventually, or at least that. That argument to me made a little bit of sense. It, it does. It does. So I was very so. Thank Bottom you, Zach. Line, Gross. Still yellow. Yeah, we are so off track. <laughs> but okay, let's get into the this week's tennis. We're finally making the switch to clay season. It's that time of the year. We're on the dirt. Our socks are a little bit dirtier than before, but that's okay. Yours because... more than mine, <laughs> per usual. <laughs> but that's okay because we love this time of year. The event we're going to be talking about: the ATP U.S. Men's Clay Court Championship. This is an event held in Houston. Because of that, so many Americans in the draw. Before we get into the main draw action, I want to run you through a few of the notable qualifying results because there were so many of them. You had Yoshihito Nishioka taking out our guy, Cam Nori, 6-1-6-4. Nishioka is a former top junior who actually tore his ACL last year in Miami, is finally making his comeback. It's good to see him have success. Another big match, Bradley Klon takes out another one of the Cracked Interviews favorites, Chris Eubanks, 7-6-4-6-7-6. You know, that's a high-level challenger match, and to see that in a round one qualifying, really impressive. I mean, yeah, if you look at, I mean, the whole qualifying draw is it's kind of a challenger tournament in and of itself. Obviously, you also have Kozlov taking out Bellucci in three sets. You've got Novikov. I mean, you've got Opelka. A lot of these guys have made ATP main draws, and it's pretty crazy that all of them are actually in the qualifying. Yeah, a lot of these guys have won challenger titles already this year. Another notable round one because it was an all-American match. Kudla takes out Opelka, a little revenge from the challenger circuit, 6-4-6-3. I had to watch these highlights just because this is a match I'm so interested in. And it was interesting because on the clay, when you hit behind Riley Opelka or you get it a little bit lower to his backhand, it's easier to expose than on hardcourt. And so he really needs to shore that up as we move along in this clay court season. I mean, that's also something that you'll notice a lot throughout this tournament is just players hitting behind their opponents. I think it's clearly something that was working for a lot of the guys this tournament. The last round one qualifying match I want to mention, Miomir Kesmenovic takes out Michael Moe, 6-1-7-6. That's another challenger rematch. They played a really long match indoors earlier this year. I believe Kesmenovic won that as well, but just fun to see these guys keep battling and Now we'll get into these round two qualifying results because these are the guys who ended up qualifying for the main draw. You have Dennis Kudla taking out Mitchell Kruger, three and five. Kozlov taking out Akira Santillian, six two six zero, and our guy Kesmenovic taking out Dennis Novikov, six four five seven six three. Again, incredible tennis, and we haven't even gotten to the main draw, so that's just a nice little warm up for everyone to show. This was the level of tennis. These were the type of guys we love talking about, so that's why we're so excited for this event. Absolutely, and with that being said, let's talk about this first round. So before we begin, we have to, as always, give our special, special hey, shout out. great shot to the American winners in Houston. We had John Isner, Francis Tiafo, Jack Sock, Taylor Fritz, Ryan Harrison, Dennis Kudla, Bjorn Fertangelo, Tennis Sandgren, and Stevie Johnson, all getting main draw wins. Fligner, cue the applause. 
Can I just say I'm so glad that I've rubbed off on you that it, you're now calling him Stevie? I uh, just I almost type I E in the outline, but <laughs> I just can't do it because I don't feel right. So I leave I, it as I Steve, have an I E. No, I've got oh, the I E. At the end, I think I do it multiple ways. In the official results, it's Steve, okay. but unofficially right. we'll go with Stevie. But let's talk about Stevie because I really loved his first round match. He takes out one of our next gen favorites, Ernesto Escobedo, three six seven six six two. Because it's an all California classic, you deserve the first no you must have the first word well yeah i mean these are two guys that i grew up you know playing with and watching oh, you, when did you ever <laughs> play with steve johnson please? I, I said playing with and watching i okay. never played with stevie don't worry and you got blasted off the court by ernesto yeah well that's all right I'm, not, I'm sure a lot of people have been blasted off the court by ernesto but he definitely did not do that with stevie in this match you know, obviously he took that first set and, and actually had chances in the second. Uh, but pretty much throughout this match, I felt like Stevie had the upper hand, even though he was behind early on in the match. I'm going to disagree with you. I thought for the first set and a half, this was Ernesto's match to lose. And you talk about the stats from this match. First serve percentage, both guys pretty similar. 62% for Johnson, 61% for Escobedo. You look at the first serve points, one, Johnson, 74%. When he could get Escobedo stretched and go inside in with the forehand, down the line with the forehand, just anywhere he wants with the forehand and just get Escobedo moving, that's when he was able to take control, and that's why he held serve so well. Yeah, and I might backtrack a little bit. I do see what you're saying. I mean, Escobedo definitely was, you know, controlling a good amount of the points early on. However, I just felt like it was one of these moments where he just wasn't making any mistakes to the point where, like... It was unsustainable. Yeah, yeah. He had to, at some point, drop his level of play. Well, you look at break point opportunities. Johnson goes 2 of 7, but Ernesto has 8 break points, and he's only able to convert one One. of them. And, you know, that's where he kind of falls short. You're right. He was playing so well in terms of total points. It's 106 each. I just thought, you know, we're going to talk a lot about Steve Johnson against next-gen guys in this tournament, and I want to differentiate about what each of them did tactically against Johnson. I thought in terms of patience, Escobedo actually had the best game plan. He understood, you know, I need to pound the Johnson backhand, and Johnson will slice back, and I just stay disciplined, you know, keep giving him Thompson shots to that corner, and he has to eventually float one because it's so hard to hit that ball. And then, you know, when you give Escobedo short ball, he pops it as well as anyone on tour, and so I thought he did really well. Yeah, I agree. I think the the one thing that that Ernesto does better than the rest of the guys who end up playing Stevie is taking one of those slices inside in. I think a lot of them— Could not agree more. Yeah, a lot of them did not do that successfully, and I think that was what Ernesto did the best. Obviously, not well enough to win, but did it pretty well. The other thing I want to say about Ernesto is I'm actually pretty surprised with his movement. I thought it was going to be a lot worse. Some days you come in so prepared and you just say things that make me adore you even more than ever because I could not agree more. That's the absolute take. That's what I think you take away from this match. Ernesto did so well moving side to side on the clay. He slid way better than I anticipated. I actually thought his sliding stop because he slides into balls allows him to recover better than on a hard court. Absolutely, and it's honestly kind of the opposite of one of the next matches that I do want to talk about, which is the Mackie McDonald versus Francis Tiafa match. The opposite was with Mackie. I really didn't think he moved that well on clay. I think typically most people consider him to be one of the better movers of the next-gen guys, and that is true for the most part, but a lot of these balls he was hitting and then sliding. 
you saw him trying to catch up to the next ball because he was sliding after he had already hit, which was kind of surprising for me to see. We should give a little bit of context to our listeners. Obviously, we are in the clay court season, and in terms of a surface, clay is very much different than a hard court. You're a California kid. You have more experience on clay than I do. Talk me through that transition and how there's a difference between your approaches to movement and your how you're hitting the ball, things like that. Well, it's funny that you say, as a California kid, I know the clay court's it's better just a fact. There's not much clay in Michigan. It's true. And actually, I never played on clay while I was in California, only when I was on the East Coast. Um, yeah, I grew up learning how to play on clay from Greensboro Country Club. Sam is <laughs> my boy, John Disney. Um, Cue the cha-ching. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a really weird change of pace. I think for me, at least when I first played on clay, I didn't really recognize how much time you have. And I think, at least for me, I love sliding even on hard courts. And so when I got to the clay, I think I was a little more used to it than some go. people. But uh, it, it is hard to get used to that sliding into your shot rather That's than... That's the big thing, right? Sliding into it as opposed to sliding after. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're supposed to use that momentum to carry you into where the ball is located and then using your you know core muscles to get, get down, load up, and explode into the ball. And there is something to being said when you're sliding after. It's pretty obvious, but you are getting further away from when you hit the ball. It's that much harder to recover. I mean, you lose that extra second, and that's it. And so in terms of the things Steve Johnson did versus Ernesto Escobedo, I would just want to talk about that match for a second because I thought that was a great example. When Stevie was able to get Ernesto stretched, a lot of times on the do side, it's the slice out wide, or on the outside, the kicker to the backhand, and then snap his forehand off either inside out when it's do side or you know cross-court when he's on the ad, Ernesto just didn't have enough time to recover to the ball because sometimes he would be sliding after. And, you know, when Stevie could hit a ball behind Ernesto, it would be hard for him to recover. And that is something to monitor as we continue on this clay court, you know, season. All right, a little confused there. I think you just backtracked a little bit. You were saying Ernesto was moving well, and now you're saying he was sliding afterwards. Okay, this is an interesting take, but one of my theories is the thing I'm impressed about with both Escobedo and Fritz on clay is that even though their weaknesses remain the same as on hardcourt, some of the things they did decently are enhanced. So for Escobedo, I think he does slide into a ball well when he has time. I think that's when he does, you know, he does it better on clay than he would on hardcourt because on hardcourt anyone can stop. And so I just think comparatively he does it better on the clay. I also think just in terms of hitting behind Escobedo, you know, hitting behind anyone on clay is hard. So it's not just it's everyone's weakness because it's that much more exposed. I don't think it hurts Escobedo as much because you as a player just on clay, you have to be aware of getting hit behind you more. And so just because of that, it's it's always going to be a weakness. And I think just comparatively, I know this is a stretch. I just think he does it better on the clay. I still think Steve Johnson, just because of how well he's able to snap a ball off cross court, Escobedo, regardless of if he's moving well enough or not, still was not fast enough to get to that forehand and do any damage with it. Because again, when he's improvising, he's not doing that well. Okay. Yeah, no. That, that's yeah, fair. that was a long explanation. I'm sorry about no, that. No, no, no. That, that makes sense. I, I just was a little confused. So that's, that's no, good. No, totally fair. And I do want to get back to the Tiafa McDonald match. As you mentioned, Tiafa takes out McDonald three and three. It was interesting. I thought Mackey, just because he hits, you know, he takes everything on the rise, but his ball is a little bit flatter. It was hard for him to hit through the court against Tiafa. Yeah, exactly. I think this was the perfect example of 
why I don't think Mac yet is going to make it far in these tournaments because he still hasn't found his niche as a player that's going to allow him to kind of take it to the next level. Uh, and, and I think that was pretty evident here. If you look at some of the statistics, Tiafo actually won 79% of his first serves. And this is back to a point that we were making earlier this year where when Tiafo is making his first serve, which he was 55%, which is a little bit lower, but when he's winning those first serve points, getting that first punch, he's winning these matches. I don't know if I can agree with you. The reason I say that is because Tiafo did a really good job moving on the clay, and I think he's an exceptional athlete. Oh, I'm not saying that. I thought he that. did well sliding into the ball. Uh, no, and I'm saying if you give T- Tiafo that much extra time, because McDonald's ball is not penetrating the court, it was just really hard for him to get a ball by Francis. You look at some of the statistics from this match, in terms of first serve points won, Tiafa wins 79% of his, going 22 of 28. McDonald only goes 17 of 28, 61% one. You know, there is a huge gap there, and even more so in the second serve points one. Tiafo 57%, McDonald only 41. Once again, we're seeing McDonald struggle with the second serve, just like we did against Virev in Acapulco. Yeah, I want to say he even double-faulted on a break-point opportunity early in that first set, so clearly that's something that he's going to need to figure out if he wants to keep making it far in these you look at breakpoint opportunities, Tiafa 4 of 8, McDonald the 1 of 2. I just think Francis was too solid on the backhand. He was content going cross courts, waiting for an opportunity to stretch McDonald and hit the inside in forehand, which he's just been doing better and better. Again, his first serve has become a weapon, and it is translated to clay. I thought he looked that impressive in this win, and it was just a testament to him having too many weapons to against a player like McDonald. Absolutely, and I don't think there's a whole lot more to be said about this match. You know, Francis played well, and hopefully Mackey will kind of figure out that second serve. But let's talk about a match that you have been raving about. We've got Ryan Harrison. I have to give a quick rant before we do that. So we're going to introduce a new segment on this show today in honor of this match because I enjoyed it that much. (laughs) It's a shout-out to ESPN Monday Night Football. We're going to go with this match calling it Gruskin's Grinders. Because you, in a shout-out to John Gruden, you know how much I love grinders. You know I love long baseline points. Guys who are playing conservative tennis might be a stretch, but guys who are just trying to stretch their opponents and wait for the right opportunities and in Harrison and Kesmanovich you just had a baseline battle two guys who moved extraordinarily well I believe both of them are IMG products and it was legitimately clones of each other and I think I made that comment in the changeover chat as well talking about how I thought Kesmanovich could be a better Ryan Harrison and at this stage I was wrong Ryan Harrison was just that much more physically fit he was that much better at attacking on the first serve you look at their first serve percentages Harrison 63 Kasmanovich 53% in terms of first serve points one Harrison goes all the way at 83% Kasmanovich does well with 72% but still but still Harrison protected his serve that much better he didn't have any break point opportunities on his serve I really just enjoy this match. Great baseline tennis, great YouTube highlights. I don't know how much more I need to say about this match. <laughs> you you basically just covered it. But uh, Can we yeah. give a quick shout-out to whoever made the YouTube highlights for Houston? Thank yeah, you. Thank you. They were great. <laughs> it's unbelievable that we can't just have highlights of these matches all of the time. We've got to find a way to do something it's about just, that. I mean, it's just so helpful for us. Yes, we get to catch some of the matches during the week, and we try and watch as much as we can. Being able to go back and say, remember that point and how great it was and seeing some of the intricacies of the match, it's, it's super helpful. So, yes, Thank you, and a shout-out to whoever is putting those together. 
But on to some other notable results from the first round. We had Taylor Fritz taking out Tim Smichek, 6-7, 6 I think Smichek had match points in this match. and Yeah, he did. I was so sure Fritz was going to lose, and credit to him for coming back. Yeah, absolutely. A few other uh, notable first rounds. We had Dennis Kudla taking out Verdasco, 4-6. and six. And one other match that I always have to point out when I'm talking with you, Alex, is... Uh, Kozlov losing three and two to Guido Pea. I just, I mean, the credit to Kozlov for qualifying. Again, we're recording this a little bit after, but he's made the quarterfinals of Sarasota. So is Opelka, who actually took out Kesmanovic and former NCAA champion Blas Rolla. But that's a segue for another time. We'll have to talk about that tournament later on. Yeah, those were all great results. Obviously, other Americans for Tangelo Sandgren getting wins. Donald Young loses six three six two to Nick Kicker and. An American who fell short, Donald Young loses to Nicholas Kicker, 6-3-6-2. Young has fallen outside of the top 100. He it's lost terrible. to Kozlov in just a match that was sloppy. You know, this is not a good start to his play season, and I'm worried about where his game goes from here. As well, I mean, he's really gone downhill, and unless he makes some pretty drastic uh, improvements in the tournaments coming up, he's going to keep falling. But on to the second round of this tournament— Back to our boy Stevie Johnson. He took out Francis Tiafo. Our boy Stevie Johnson. Our boy Stevie Johnson uh, took out Tiafo three and four. Alex, what did you think of this match? So again, we're going to talk about Stevie Johnson versus another next gen guy. I really like Stevie Johnson as a litmus test for these young players. Stevie Johnson is a guy who has an ATP caliber weapon. His forehand is elite. You talk about guys who seek out the forehand and hit the inside in or inside out and really protect their backhand. You know, the best all time is Roger Federer. His ability to hit inside whatever forehands is are just you know that's why he is who he is. Absolutely, and you can't discredit his serve. He has he does have one of the better serves on tour as well, in my opinion. Especially that kick. He's got a dope kick. I agree with you, but my thing is, I think his second serve sits a little bit. I just oh, I disagree. Oh, look at it on the clay. He's able to pull it out wide. These guys are jumping at it at their backhands. There, it pulls them off the court. Against Escobedo, Johnson wins fifty five percent of his second serves. In this match against Tiafo, he wins fifty nine percent. That's good. That's not like exceptional. It's fine. I think it sits a little bit. I think guys are able to attack it. More importantly, I think it's not big enough to where guys can't hit to Johnson's backhand. And if you can get a ball to Johnson's backhand, you can you can pretty much get the point to neutral. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, sorry for beating you to oblivion on this. I, one. I mean, I just I still I don't necessarily agree because I still think that when he hits it out wide, it pulls them off the court. Yes, it is not going to hurt them, and I don't think many people's second serves hurt anyone except for mine because and you've told me this in the no, past. No, I hurt so. them because you give me sitters. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but regardless, I, I think it's it's something that we can't discredit as well. Well, again, I'm going to contradict myself because in terms of this match with Tiafo, Johnson's first serve was incredible. He hits 12 aces in this match, which is just not something you're accustomed from. No. I thought he did a great job of finding the tee and getting Tiafo stretch, hitting the, the slice out wide in particular on the deuce. I thought so many players hit that serve this week, and I was just really really impressed at how getting players stretched on clay just gets the court so open, which is just what you want. And I really think it's a must-have. I will say I completely agree, but I think the thing that actually carried Stevie in this match were his ground strokes and his forehand. If you look at the statistics, Tialfo served 60% and was winning 68% of his first serves, but Stevie still had five break points. He won three of them. So 
clearly this match came to the ground strokes, and if you watch it, he was controlling this match. I had to take a sip of my Propel, shout out to Propel, because I needed <laughs> to get ready for this hot take, and I just needed to cool off a little bit. I think Tiafo should have won this match. You talk about Johnson having five break points. Tiafo had seven. I thought if Tiafo would have played patience, the way he played Juan Martin Del Potro in Delray Beach, he would have won this match. He just needed to consistently seek the Johnson backhand. I think Tiafo's quick enough to track down the Johnson forehand, whether it's the inside in, the inside out. Of course, Stevie's going to snap some winners, but on the general occasion, you know, Tiafo loves hitting that slice cross court. And on the dirt, the, you know, the way the ball stays low, it's nasty. And because Johnson hits it so wristy, I thought Tiafo was able to grind out points like that. The thing that made me so frustrated is he started playing the slice games with Johnson. Oh, yeah. And that's, it's just, I cannot agree do with it you too. more. I, it's hard not to. How can you say that? Stay disciplined. Stay down. Your backhand's better. I'm your meaning Tiafo. His backhand is better if he just would have... <laughs> oh, you mean mine isn't better than, <laughs> than Tiafo? Well, well maybe. <laughs> I agree. I, I think, I mean, look, I, I am agreeing with you 100% on this. There was a possibility that Tiafo pulled out this match, but I think in, and this is something that I noticed, honestly, a, more than I have in past tournaments, all of the next-gen guys here really showed a lack of mental maturity, in my opinion. I think Tiafo in this match got mad, like actually angry, was yelling, and I have not seen that from him. I also saw that in Fritz. Saw that a little bit even in Escobedo. It just it, it was starting to come out in a way that I actually hadn't seen before. I'm going to slightly disagree with you there. I think they just are really, really passionate. They think they're ready. They think uh, they're there to win. And, yes, sometimes that frustration turns bad when Fritz threw his racket against Johnson. That was right. something you don't want to see. But I think it's because they really believe they're ready for that stage. And I think it's something good. But I think if they're they can really ready, well. they got to channel it. And you know who's really good at it is Mackie. He double faults, and he's stoic. And I love that. That That is how they should be. And if they want to act like they deserve to be there— be better than that. So this is where we constantly disagree, and it's a bit hypocritical because I've been on the court with you. But if you have <laughs> played tennis, you understand these frustrations. So I'm okay with them channeling it like this. Racket throwing, you can only do in practice. I think it's totally fine, but you can't do it in a match. You just you can't yeah. stomps his racket. How many times have you done that thing? You know oh, the thing. Oh, hundreds. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't like that. I'm not a fan of the throwing. I know. I'm down with them pumping up the crowd as much as they want. Pump up the crowd is fine, but... Yelling is, I don't know, it's different. It's a bit of an off topic. I do want to get back to this match just a little bit more. I thought Tiafo really could have hit the backhand cross court more disciplined. I think his inside in forehand, as we've mentioned, is good enough to get Johnson stretched. But this is a testament to Johnson. Even though Tiafo could track down Johnson's forehands, Johnson could track down anything Tiafo is hitting. And he just moved so exceptionally in this match. And just Tiafo didn't have enough on his ball, was too willing to play games with Johnson. And that, in the end, is what did him in. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think Stevie just showed maturity in this match, and that's what carried him through. But... Let's move on to another next-gen matchup. We had Taylor Fritz taking down Ryan Harrison, 3-6, 6-0, 6-3. And this was a weird match. We had Taylor losing this first set and then winning nine straight games. Uh, I don't know. What did you think about this match? I mean, it, it obviously wasn't a very pretty match. I'm going to be quick on this one. It sucked. It was it, horrible. It, it was. It was so f***ing <laughs> oh, bad. It was, no, it's unbelievable because Harrison played such a smart first set. He was so disciplined. He kept moving Fritz side to side. And when you can get, you know, the Fritzes and the Escobedo moving side to side, they become exposed. 
And then he just could not make a single ball for the next two sets. And Fritz just demolished him. Fritz started making that ball down the line. And Harrison was just unable to make that extra ball to put any pressure on Fritz. And uh, it was such a promising matchup. And I really was impressed with Ryan Harrison's game. And then he just dropped the uh, he dropped the bomb. Yeah, it was weird. They like almost switched places because... Honestly, Taylor really didn't play. I mean, the reason Taylor won nine straight games was, yes, because Ryan dropped his level of play. But I also thought he started to pick it up. They slapped everything. It was such a low-quality match. And I really like Harrison's ability to come to the net. I think that's why he won the match against Kesmanovic is just because he's learned to come forward by playing so much doubles. He just didn't do that in this match. You talk about second serve points won. Harrison only wins 38%. He was just always under pressure and... Uh, it did not bring out the best in his game, but I have nothing else to say. I really didn't like this one. Yeah, and and as you said, it's overall just a pretty low quality match. And if you want to talk about another kind of low quality match, Nick Kyrgios took down Bjorn Fortangelo six seven six one six two. You love Kyrgios. Give me your takes. You, no, so you're you're about to. He's be... your tier one guy, right? No, I didn't have him in my tier one. Yeah. I took, I put him in the tier two. I almost had him tier one. Who's I your actually... oh, Chung Chung? Yeah. I actually dislike Curios now, and, oh, and I'm serious. Tier I'm, two or three? No, it's not about his game. It's just about him on the court. <laughs> I I used to like this kind of not bad boy style of tennis, but just this I am athletic and I'm going to use that to my advantage and not worry so much about kind of the aesthetics of being a beautiful tennis player, and I, and I liked that. But it's gotten to this point where he actually is so full of himself and he just looks like he thinks he is the almighty and can just around and not care on court. And I'm sorry, you're not that good until you go win a Grand Slam. Stop doing that. I'm serious. Actually, you're going to keep losing more and more fans if you play like that. I hate to say it, but in this match, he did turn it on. He loses his, you know, in his second round match, he loses the first set to Bjorn Fertangelo, 7-6. Comes back, wins the next two sets, 6-1-6-2. He turned it on, and his first serve was just so impressive. He only makes 54% of them, but he wins 77% of those points. His ability to just hit that second forehand, missiles down the line, missiles inside out. In terms of... You know, just huge forehands. I love his. I've really grown to like Johnson's. These guys just can manufacture winners, and those serve plus ones, you know, they're just so good. Yeah, that's my love affair. Sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, sure. Like, he did turn it on, and I think, again, he, on the first set, was like, I'm the almighty, and then when he lost, he was like, I need to turn it up, and yeah, it's fine. And Fratangelo didn't play great in the second second and third sets, but again, I'm just tired of this attitude from Kyrgios. I don't want to see it anymore. Okay, then let's do two seconds on for Tangelo. I think he looks really solid. Uh, I, I like his backhand. I like. I think his that's form all he is, is though is solid. Like that. Yeah. I, literally, no, I didn't, no there huge was, weapons. There was Except for I think he moves, he moves in really well. Takes balls early. I think he does a good job of moving Kyrgios side to side and like you know seeking out you know getting him stretched and taking that ball early. But you're right. Unless his combos are working, you know he doesn't. He's not going to overpower a player. No, not even close. And I think that six one six two second and third sets are indicative of how a lot of his matches will go with top players because he just he really doesn't have anything yet that's going to distinguish him quick yes or no will he end the year in the top 100 no interesting okay other notable results from the second round you had isner taking out laxanen six four six two sock taking out zabios six four six four sandgren taking out kicker six two seven six paya 
clearly playing incredibly well after beating Kozlov. Takes out Sam Query, two six seven six seven six. You like how I sneak that Kozlov plug in? Yeah, of course. And then Karlovich beginning his hot streak, taking out Kudla five and five. You'd have thought Kudla playing Opelka maybe to have a little experience, but that when the doctor is in, it's just too easy. When the doctor is in. Yeah, shouts to Doctor Evo. I think we just titled the episode. <laughs> <laughs> when the doctor's in. Shout out to our one guest in the audience here. We got Kosi Newman, who just got into med school. Whoop, whoop. Hey, cue the applause. And before we get back into our tennis talk, we've got one real advertisement coming right for you. We'll be right back. I say we do the one. Let's talk about another great event in the future. Yeah, how about that Stowe Mountain Valley Classic? I, th- I think that's a good one to <laughs> Is talk that the about. One we- yeah, let's do that first. Yeah, yeah, we'll be right back. Max, we know all tennis fans love the thrill of a Grand Slam event. You know, there's something to those huge crowds going crazy for their favorite players. But there's something to be said about the intimacy of a small crowd. You know, what comes to mind for me is college tennis or the challenger levels where the crowd may not be as big, but, you know, everyone's rooting together. You feel very involved with your fellow crowd members. And I'm just wondering, are there events where ATP players are playing in a much more intimate atmosphere? Alex, you couldn't have asked a better question because there is. This August 19th through 22nd, we've got the Stowe Mountain Lodge Classic hosted at beautiful Vermont's Green Mountains, Spruce Peak Stadium. Let me tell you, Alex, this place is gorgeous. You know, I think you sent me the website for this, and it really is gorgeous. It's in like a valley like with beautiful mountains and trees surrounding it. Oh, absolutely. The stadium court is one to impress. And let me tell you, there's some great names that have come to this tournament in the past. Last year, naming a few. We had Jared Donaldson, Young Gun. Francis Tiafo, who's been on a run this year. Maybe he drives his Porsche from the Delray title to this event. I'm just wondering, would I have a chance to see it? Well, that would be a sight to see, and you might, because there's a players party before the tournament starts. That Saturday night, the fans will have a chance to interact with all of the players before the tournament starts. You've made a solid case, Maxie. And like you mentioned, this event starts August 19th, ends August 22nd. It sounds like the event for tennis fans. It really doesn't get much better than this. Where can I go get my tickets? www.stowtennis.com One more time, please. I have hard of hearing. That's a www.stowetennis.com www.stowtennis.com That's it, Alex. So www.stowtennis.com Let me hear it one more time. www.stowtennis.com Get your tickets today, and we'll see you in August. Dots are also periods. Welcome back to... Hey, great shot. That just felt right. It like, did. I, I like... love this analogy, but it's when Harry gets his wand back. The same thing, I had to play with other people's rackets because I just didn't get my racket strunk. Yeah, when you get your time. own racket back, you're just like, this is right. But it was weird going this time the opposite, you know? I despise Babolats. Compared to my Prince Graphite. As I'm holding they're... my Yeah, Babolat. that's what I have to say. And if they want to sponsor us again, I love them. But in terms for me, the Prince Graphite, oh, just the control I have. I can put I the ball anywhere. I think you would play so well with a bab. the Bablot oh. Pure. The, oh, the pure get strike. out of I, here. I don't know, man. I hate I can't do it. I could probably use a K. No, you anything. need a Yonix. That's what you need. Oh, I would be sexy with Yonix. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the word I would use, but we'll, we'll uh, debate that another time. Talk about time. a Yonix guy. Is Steve Johnson a Yonix guy? He used to be. Speaking of Yonix guys, let's talk about Steve Johnson. Yeah, our boy Stevie, yes, a Yonix guy, 
in our quarterfinal match with John Isner. Took him down 7-6-4-6-7-6. Okay, I get the first word on this one because I already – how many times did I text you about this match? Yeah, I know. You know I know you're busy, and so I only text you when I'm particularly furious. <laughs> This match sucked. Yeah. I was just, uh And it's not that they didn't have interesting moments because there were some volley points. But, man, when Isner hits that serve to the Johnson backhand, you know how the point's going to end. And when Stevie got Isner stretched, you know how that point's going to end. And it was just, yeah, it was robotic. Yeah, it's not fun when Isner's winning 90% of his first serve It was points. unbelievable. Like, what? why am I even watching? You just may as well just go to the tie breaks. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, am I right? Like, just just play some tie breaks and call it a day. No, seriously. And to Johnson's credit, he won both of the tie breaks, and he came up seriously. with some fantastic shots. So yeah, I was did. a bit too harsh earlier. There were some fantastic moments in this match, but the highlights were 14 minutes. Could have been six. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know. When, Not to complain. Thank look, you. Look, yeah. you were. I was actually doing work while you were texting me about this, and so when I came back and I watched the highlights, I was fast-forwarding because I was – Pretty much just seeing the same thing over and over. So I hear you. It, it was a pretty boring match. Interesting thing here. You look at total points one. The guys end up tied 106-106. In terms of break points, Isner goes 1-5. of five, Johnson 0-2. Oh As you mentioned, there are a lot of big first serves here. But credit to both of these guys. Both make over 65% of their first serves. Isner with 28 aces. Four times as many as Stevie. To their credit, they played each other correctly. It just wasn't commercially appealing. No, not at all. So, but but with, with a match that, that had a lot of sex appeal. And something we should have done at the beginning of this podcast. What? You don't think? Okay, let me explain myself. Yeah, okay, please. Shout out to Nike because no more pink outfits. They made the Fair switch enough. and yes. now they have Thank a clean you, white and black look. I like the shoes. I like it all. Whether you pair it with a hat, whether with a headband, it works now. Yeah, absolutely. And look, we've been asking Nike for a while to do this, so it's about time. So let's talk about the sexy tennis. Let's talk about Fritz versus Jack Sock. Fritz takes out Sock 6-3, 3-6, 6-4 to advance to an ATP semifinal. Always a good thing for a young guy like Fritz. You look at the things he did well. Man, he targeted the Sock backhand so well. And my hottest take of this pot, and I've had a lot of them, Fritz moves better on clay than he does on hard courts. (sighs) Wow. Let me know if you want me to explain myself. I'm not going to disagree with you completely. I just think that the slower game makes everyone a little bit slower. So he's marginally not as bad as a mover compared to other players. I'm not saying that necessarily he is a better mover. But marginally, other people. So are I not. think he covers the drop shot better because he can slide forward pretty well. And when he slides forward and into yeah. a drop shot, he's in a better position to recover, and he's closer into the net than he would be on a hard. And court. on that topic, I will say I didn't see as many people drop shotting him as I usually do. Well, sock. See, socks thing is he would still go for the casual drop shots because Fritz really did target that backhand. Yeah. I thought Fritz did a great job, more so than anyone. And I know I mentioned this earlier, but hitting slices out wide on the deuce. I didn't know Fritz had that serve in him, and when he could get socks stretched, he's so good at that second shot, whether it's a forehand down the line or, more particularly, his backhand cross-court. I really liked it in this match. His backhand cross-court throughout the tournament, I think, is what was helping him He played exceptional, and you look at the stats from this one, Fritz makes 62% of his first serves, 
wins 68% of those points, 56% of his second serve points as well. He did a really good job protecting his serve. Now, I do want to have a quick debate before we move on with you about something I noticed on Fritz's return, or more importantly, I guess something you noticed on Fritz's return. Yeah, I was about to Sock may have won 79% of his first serve points, but he only won 41% of his second and serve points. And this is what I was about to bring up. It's funny that you say this. I seriously think that Fritz's return has gotten much better, and he's attacking second serves not just on Sock, but in general. And I think this is a part of his game plan that I think he needs to keep developing because as we've said he's not the best mover and if he can get that first strike and he has a good return he's going to be successful well you know the book is almost out on taylor frith if you can get him stretched moving side to side get him out of the center of the court you are obviously going to have a much more successful chance of beating him on the first serve when Sock got Fritz stretched and, you know, Fritz would only be able to block a ball back and then Sock can really hit a forehand and take control. Fritz had a hard time winning those points as that stat reflects. But on the second serve when he was stepping into the court, stepping into the baseline, really ripping that serve and putting pressure on Sock, and then, you know, he's able to attack those second balls. Yeah, he was so successful. He When he's able to use his ground strokes and they really are weapons on clay, he plays top 50 level tennis. Yeah, absolutely. And look, he had 12 breakpoint opportunities in this match. And if you have that many breakpoint opportunities, you're doing something right with your return. And it is why he was able to convert three of those 12. When you get that many chances, you're going to convert a couple of them. He also hits 14 aces to Sox 2, 5 double faults to Sox 6. It's funny because of total points, Fritz 192 to Sox 95. Uh, but again, I really think Fritz, last part of my hot take, he slid into his forehand really well and yeah his backhand stretch still sucks but it always sucks and the fact that he can do a little bit on the forehand it's it really bodes well for his clay court season because he has no points to defend yeah definitely and and look i i think we've we've talked a lot about this was my favorite match of the tournament i know that's a hot take but fritz looked that good and sock played well like two socks credit he understood second set third set i have to turn it on yeah, I mean, I might have to say the finals is my favorite, but this is a, a close second. But wow, that's a good take. You before, might be right. Before we move on to our semifinals, two other quick notables from the court of finals. Ivo Kovic took down Nick Kyrgios, 3-6, 6-2, Not a great match if, if you sure haven't seen tennis. it. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, also just, again, Kyrgios kind of giving up at There times. was some trickery. There was, there was. And, and Kyrgios hit one of those classic tweeners that he always hits. Um, but but not the best match. And then we had Tennis Sangren taking down Paya, 4-6-7-5-6-3. But okay, that's all for the quarterfinals. Let's move on to our semifinal matches. We had Stevie taking down Taylor Fritz, 7-5-6-7-6-2. Alex, take it away. Well, I can see you tingling in your chair about another all-California matchup. Obviously, these guys. Two guys that I really enjoy watching, too. And playing with. <laughs> I aced Playing Taylor against Fritz. Well, actually, watching. I didn't ace Taylor Fritz. It was this <laughs> other guy. <laughs> we don't need to get into the specifics. But this is the third next-gen guy Johnson's played, and credit to him for bringing his A game in all of these matches. Like you mentioned, you could really tell these guys wanted to beat Johnson, kind of solidify themselves as the top American to watch out for. And Johnson just... Too many weapons, man. Again, when he could get Fritz and Escobedo stretched with his inside-in forehand. When he could get Fritz and Escobedo stretched with his inside and forehand, he just was too much for these guys. And he is just—he, I didn't know he could move this well. I really—like, he—whether it's he lost weight, whether he's just so conscious of protecting his backhand, it he moved incredibly well. See, I agree, and I think that was, you know, 
what separated him from a lot of these guys this tournament. I will say Fritz played fantastic this match. Fritz's ability to anticipate where Johnson was going to go. Another reason why I think his movement is better on clay because anticipation is rewarded that much more. Actually, that's fair. I, I was, it's harder to change directions. You're right. You're right. It is. And I, and I think also when you have, it is a little bit slower on clay. So when you have that extra split second to read where they're going, agreed. Exactly. I, I Fritz helpful. in particular, right? When he can get a ball at neutral. And to his credit, he did a better job than any of the other guys of using his backhand to go down the line and keeping Johnson honest by snapping balls there. And yes, when Johnson could get there and loop a forehand cross court, when Fritz would leave it a little bit too much in the middle, Fritz would be in trouble. But he, like you said, this was such high-quality tennis. Fritz should have lost this match in the second set. Stevie had two match points, but I do want to say I think this match could have gone to Fritz, and the, the difference were his volleys. There were so many deciding points where I was like, God damn it, if you had good volleys, it would be over. Dude, is, are his hands bad or his decisions bad? Is he it's, it, does, what do you think it is? I, I can't I think tell. It's, it's got to be some his combo. His hands are kind of Yeah, they are. And if I were his coach, I seriously would make him hit 30,000 volleys every single practice. I, or just I'd make him sign up for doubles in every event and be like, you're just, just serving volleys. Yeah. Just, just work on it. Why not? Or honestly, if I were his coach, I would have him play some smaller tournaments and just go and do that anyways. Don't worry about the results. Go and play. If you, This is one of the things that, one of the stories that I remember about Roger Federer's career that I think is so special is his coach, when he was younger, had him go play tournaments, and he would have him keep his head down, look at his contact point with his backhand, and have him hold it there for two seconds before he moved. And he lost matches because of it, but look where he is now. Look how successful that has been for his career development. I will also say, given that he has no points to defend, a challenger is still adding points because he plays nothing last year. So there is no harm in doing that. I don't disagree with you. In terms of the quality of this match, like you said, such good tennis. Both guys played so well. Some of the stats, Fritz serves 68% of his first serve ins, wins 67 of those points. Johnson makes 59% of his first serves, wins 77% of those points. The stat that differentiates it and kind of shows you that Johnson just had a little bit too much in the end. He goes 4-15 on break points. Fritz 1-4. of four. You know, Johnson's weapons in the end were just that much better. His ability to dip balls low, get Fritz bending, that's how he won this match. Definitely. But let's let's move on to our other semifinal match. We had Tennis Sangren take down Evo Karlovich six and six. Uh, yeah, impressive to take down a, a guy like Evo in two tiebreak sets. It's hard to you know take tiebreaks off him. Um, not the most exciting match in my opinion, but uh, they're they're not always the most exciting with Evo. I do want to give him a little credit. Evo is the oldest man to reach an ATP semifinal event since 1993. So shout outs to you, Doctor Evo. Um, you know. That's a pretty awesome statistic there. I agree with you. I want to save my thoughts on Sangren for the final, so let's talk about that now. Let's do it. Steve Johnson in the final takes out Tennis Sangren, 7-6-2-6-6-4, defends his title as he did win Houston last year as well. And I feel like that's a sneaky amount of points to defend because he was hovering around that number 50. And by winning this, he'll stay there. You know, that's very big for his year moving forward. But this match was high-level tennis. Not only that, it was high emotions too i mean you saw stevie cry at the end two college guys battling wearing the same asics clothing the only difference was the forwards hat versus the backwards hat it's the off-brand nike battle yep exactly (laughs) sorry guys but yeah i mean this was 
such a fun match to watch. If the, this is one of these matches where if you can and take the time, go watch the highlights. Such good quality tennis. So physical. So physical. Long points. Some really fun points too. You know, having them move into the net. But yeah, I mean, if, if you look at the statistics of this match, these guys were pretty even except for a few small parts. Stevie had a little bit higher uh, first serve percentage points. One, he had 75 to Sandgren's 69. Uh, and as well, Stevie did have 14 break points to Sandgren's five. Stevie only converted two and Sandgren converted three. So definitely some opportunities where Stevie could have, uh, you know, closed this match out a little bit earlier. The perfect stat to show how close this match was. You look at total points, Johnson 99, Sandgren 98. It was that close. Johnson didn't get the break until four all in the third the tennis was such high level. Sandgren's ability to move on the clay, it's really impressive. And, you know, we were asking, is his Australian Open run going to translate to success in, on the clay season? It seems like, yes. He seems like his game is really fitted to clay. It seems like he's able to stretch his opponent with a lot of topspin. He's able to find the short angles on both the forehand and the backhand. He doesn't mind playing the slice. I thought you said something interesting. You said... Sandgren and Johnson play a similar style. Can you explain that to me? Yeah, I mean, I think if you took Stevie's game style and gave him a good backhand, I think they'd be pretty close. I think they both rip the forehand. You know, I think Stevie gets a little bit more whip on it than Sandgren. I think Sandgren's is a little more solid. But for the most part, they play smart tennis, high percentage shots, and I think they both also like that inside-in forehand. I, I completely agree with you. Very well-rounded games. Obviously, the big hole is the Johnson two-handed backhand. Yep. But his fitness is so good, and just his shot selection is so mature that it kind of makes up for that. So I was going to say, is that what the difference is? Because if you do look at their games, they're pretty similar. Johnson's just got a little bit more explosion on the I forehand agree. I agree. serve. He can whip it. I Johnson hits some of the most incredible inside-out forehands. Not the inside-in, the inside-out where he finds these ridiculous angles. angles. I agree. And he puts incredible pace, and he just snaps balls off so well. Both these guys do volley incredibly well and make smart choices about when to come in. I thought the Sandgren backhand volley was better than Johnson's. I agree. I, like he, he, he put away cut, a lot of yeah, points with just, it. His hands were so solid. He was so willing to go down the line, keep Johnson honest, you know, he— and I think that's one thing that some of the next-gen guys didn't do and would have helped them be successful is if they were able to utilize the net, come in off of Stevie's slower slices. I think that is one thing that, you know, you've said that Stevie's slice looked like it was cutting during this tournament, and it does. But if you're able to get to the net and get him on the run, I think a lot more. I think there would have been a lot more success with the younger guys. I think the difference between Sandgren's game versus all of those young guys. You look at a Fritz and an Escobedo when you can get them bent on the back end and they have to dig for that ball. They're not able to put on as much pace. Sandgren because he's a little bit older, a little bit stronger. He yeah. can get low and you know rip a backhand cross court. Keep Johnson even that much more honest. I hear that. And I thought physically that was different. But you're right. That Johnson backhand, its ability to stay low on the clay, it was a weapon. And I'm so surprised at how well Johnson's game translated to clay. I really don't understand why he couldn't make a second week at the French Open. I know that. That's another hot take. That is but, another hot take. But tell me if he's serving that well and he's moving that well. Regard, you know, he lost to Kudla we, uh, first round of Australian Open, so you know he's got to be hungry. A result like this, it gives you confidence. Agreed. And I think this, that he is someone that we can look forward to seeing making some longer runs in tournaments coming up. And I think he's starting to get a feel for his place 
on the ATP tour. So, so definitely someone to, to keep an eye out for. But look, we've talked about a lot of these guys, a lot of matches in this tournament. It was really fun. And again, we apologize for not being able to, you know, give you that recap of Indian Wells and Miami, but we will be covering we will be covering Monte Carlo. We are mid tournament right now and it is and there have been some great matches, so definitely look out for our next pod covering Monte Carlo. Absolutely. And again, if you want recaps of Indian Wells, Miami, go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. We will only have a brief changeover chat this week, but before we do that, we have to sneak in one more advertisement. So stick around. Alex, I'll be honest, I haven't said it to you much, but I really don't like your fashion off the court. What, you think I wear too many tennis clothes? You know, it's, I mean, yes, but <laughs> it's not that you wear too much tennis clothing. It's just you're not wearing the right type of tennis clothing. What do you mean? There's a specific brand I should be wearing? You clearly haven't heard of the new tennis clothes company called Cross Court Threads. Cross Court Threads, is that going to be something with knitting? No, not exactly, although they do use high quality material. In fact, they have some pretty unbelievable designs on their website. You're the one who criticizes my clothing, so uh, I'll leave the design choices up to you. What do they got? They've got an awesome Rebel Legend tee with the all-famous Andre Agassi on it, rocking the nice lechuga out the back. Lechuga, oh my god. Oh, let me tell you, he's got some beautiful flow. They've also got a nice 40 Love hat with some beautiful cursive. What about for the truckers out there? Any trucker hats? Oh, yeah, they've got a trucker hat. A beautiful logo trucker hat with the Cross Threads logo on it. And, you know, I keep it low-key, but sometimes I wear leggings on the courts. Anything for me? They've got some racer leggings that look perfect for that nice round butt of yours. Goes up to XXL? (laughs) Yeah, it does. (laughs) Awesome. Well, you know, Maxie, while my USTA player number may still be active, I consider myself more in the retired phase, more analyst than player. If there is a way for me to be an Instagram ambassador for cross-court threads, you know, maybe flaunt the gear I'm wearing, not necessarily pick the designs, is there a program for me to do that? You can be a brand ambassador in the brand ambassador program. Look, it's a four-month program. And you seem like the perfect candidate as someone who's a frequent wearer of tennis clothes. I mean, it sounds like the program for me. Where can I apply? You can apply right on their website, crosscourtthreads.com. And check this out. If you subscribe to their email list, you'll get 10% off. It's crosscourtthreads.com? That it is, crosscourtthreads.com. Crosscourtthreads.com. You know what, Alex? I liked that bit the first time, but let me just remind the listeners, it's crosscourtthreads without the dash, just crosscourtthreads.com. I know what you're getting me for my birthday. Oh, yeah? What is that? Crosscourtthreads.com. Welcome back to... A very comfortable... Hey, great shot. Very comfortable. Gotta love those crosscourt threads. Oh, yeah. So we did a very deep dive into Houston, and obviously there were tangents galore. So we want to keep our changeover chat short this week, but we can't leave you fans without doing one of those. Fligner, if you could, cue the drum roll, please. It's time for this week's Changeover Chat. The Changeover Chat. Love it every time. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting a little a little shake of the head from Cozy in the background. Oh, it's because she doesn't hear the background music that Fleener gets to put in. Oh, yeah. It just <laughs> harmonizes beautifully. Exactly. But before we go too deep into the clay season, I want all of our listeners to be aware of what the top 10 American rankings look like. These rankings come from our boy and friend of the podcast, Parson Amati. 
every week he tweets out the top 10 American men and women, as well as any men or women who have their career highs. We're just going to go over the top 10 American men this week as of 416. Isner's number one at nine. Query 14. Sock out of the top 10 now down to 17. Sandgren career high 47. Look at him. Seriously? Good rise. Donaldson 51. Johnson 52. Harrison 54. Tiafo career high 56. Fritz 66. And then for Tangelo hovering right outside the top 100 at 107. I disagree with you. I think he is going to end the year in the top 100. You got. You can't forget. He's a former junior French Open champion. But what are your thoughts on those top ten? Who do you think's missing? I think the only one that I'm really missing there is Escobedo. He's been in all of the the first rounds of these ATP tournaments, and you know he's had some good success. And I, I think we will see him, you know, make some runs in some tournaments coming up, especially once we get back to the hardcore season. Uh, so definitely, I think that's the the one person that we're missing. Escobedo right now one forty nine, Kudla one seventeen, Smichek one twenty three. Donald Young, 131, again. Oh, not what you dropping. Like I think Kudlow's playing really good tennis. I would not. Yeah. It would not shock me. You know, we've seen him make a fourth round at Wimbledon. If he had another good summer, I could see him popping back into the top 100. I would love to see any of the young guys, Escobedo, Opelka, Moe, Tommy Paul, obviously my boy Kozlov, see any more of them get into the top 100. But we have three young guys solidly in the top 100. It's, you know, it's something to be happy about moving forward. Absolutely. And look, we've got more non-American young guys in the top 100, too, that we haven't mentioned. And there's just a lot of young talent, and it's a fun time to be a tennis I hate fan. to put you on the spot like this, as always, but who ends the year ranked higher? Number 47, Sandgren, or number 54, Harrison? Sandgren. By how much? Where are they both ranked? I think Harrison will drop. I think he has some points to defend. Yeah, ooh, and Sandgren gets to play all the slams now. I'm going to agree with you. Sandgren's going to be higher. I think both guys end in the top 50. Agreed. Who ends higher, Donaldson, 51, or Tiafo 56, or Fritz, 66? I'm going to give it to Tiafo. Really? Yeah. Tiafo ends the highest? Are, who, how many of them are in the top 50? Just Tiafo. Ah, I <laughs> love that take. I say Fritz, Tiafo. I would love no. for Fritz to be in. Fritz is going to be ended the highest, both him and Donaldson in the f- top 50, but under 40, I think Tiafo ends up 59. You heard it here first. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. But okay, enough speculation, Jones. Maxie, thank you as always for taking the time to do this podcast. Oh, wait, wait, what am I doing? You take us yeah. away. Whoa, this is this is my time to, to take us the away. graduation but, pod. Exactly, but look, thank you for changing your shift so that you could come here on a Friday morning and do this podcast with me. It is a holiday. It is a holiday. It is, it is. I'm not going to say which holiday it is, but it's a fun one. And, and look, it's uh, it's a sunny day out in Ann Arbor, so maybe we'll uh, we'll go hit a few balls before we continue this day. But but as always, shout-out to our super producer, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff. We couldn't do this without you guys. As always, you got a f- of a job to do. You always do. I love giving them the late quack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and before we sign off, Make sure to check out our sponsors, go to our website, subscribe to the pod, comment, like, do everything you possibly can that social media allows you to do. Five stars only. Only five stars. But with that, from me, Max Rothman, from my co-host, Alex Gruskin, we say to you, Hey, great shot. And we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Shot production.